Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. What is going on, everybody? It is 625, Monday, March the 2nd, 2020, and we are headed back on our long overdue trip down the homeward path this week. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, a father of three, work a full-time job, currently somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 hours a week, and somehow, some way, we try our best to find a way to make at least semi-competitive magic work. Uh, for those of you who are toiling away at kind of the local level, the, the backbone of the magic community, I'm trying to be your voice. So I'm not even going to bother getting over in the fast lane this week because I don't really have anything I want to I touch on on that side. We've got to be in our announcement coming up. We've got, you know, standard formats in flux doing a bunch of stuff, but Everything's a, everything's a known quantity. It's not really a, a major shakeup because something just broke out out of nowhere. And uh, Pioneer, again, is probably the one that's most likely to be impacted by that BNR list, so it kind of feels disingenuous to talk about it right before we get a BNR update. So with that out of the way, I want to slide over in the slow lane, and I want to talk about one of the least talked about facets of budget magic as a whole of magic on a on a budget whether it's time whether it's finances whatever and that is getting your lands right because i mean frankly the 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 way i like to think about it the lands are the foundation upon which we will build our magical house can't can't cast your spells if you don't have them with obvious notable exceptions like belcher decks and even then they still play two of them but for the vast overwhelming majority of magic decks you are not landing anything if you don't have lands in play so what i want to talk about i want to break lands down into their their most basic categories um, so that we don't end up mired in, in difficulty in evaluating them. Want to, you know, make sure we don't miss the forest for the trees, if you will. And I want to start by talking about mana fixing lands, because those are the, by and large, these are the most important ones you got to evaluate, right? And the gold standard for mana fixing lands the the oh what's the what's the joke I had here I had one and I lost it I'd say it was lost in the woods um the uncontested cliffs the gold standard the best option I can think of I mean it's the most expensive for a reason right and that's the fetch lands there's a reason two entire eternal formats are devoted like the the mana bases are warped around the fetch lands 
Uh, for those of you who have never seen them before, who have only ever played like Pioneer and Standard, imagine if your Fabled Passage was limited to one or the other basic land type, but in exchange, you could go get your Shock Lands. You could go get your Ravnica Block Dual Lands. At all at the cost of one life. And oh, by the way, it's always untapped if you need it to be. That's what fetch lands do. They'd go, the, but their impact on mana base building goes beyond just the ability to fix your colors. It also adds an element of deck thinning. Uh, you can get by with playing a couple, couple of extra lands because your fetches will maybe help mitigate your flooding. To say nothing of the absurd number of synergies that go along with fetches. Landfall notwithstanding, that joke just kind of lands on deaf ears anyway. Uh, but landfall being what it is, is obvious. But even synergy with cards like Knight of the Reliquary, cards like Crucible of Worlds, cards like uh, Ramen Up Excavator, whatever the case may be, fetch lands are the ruler of the roost when it comes to the best color fixing lands because they fix your colors they shuffle your library you can, if you can utilize the shuffle effect to a profitable manner brainstorm plus fetch lands is literally the foundation of every blue deck in legacy the ability to brainstorm draw three put two back crack fetch shuffle them away so that my brainstorm is literally just a draw two, a draw three Every time. It was the foundation of, you know, why the blue control decks were good in standard when Jace the Mind Sculptor was in standard. Is Jace, zero, draw three, put two back, crack, fetch, shuffle it away. And lost to the shuffle sometimes is just how effective these cards are bang for buck wise, you know. Every fetch land you add to your deck makes it better when we're talking about modern and legacy. And you could argue, Commander, although I, I have a, a little bit of a philosophy regarding Commander that we'll kind of get around to in a minute. But fetch lands are the gold standard. They are the peak. They are the top of the mountain, if you will. So... Moving from fetch lands, what's the next best option? And the next best option are the lands that are double that are basic land typed. In particular, the original dual lands, which I'm not going to go too far into. I mean, they are literally just dual lands. No drawback, no gimmicks. They just do both things and count as both things, so you can go get them with fetch lands. Case closed, they're obviously the best, but the combination of shortage, the slowly dwindling lack of support for legacy play doesn't lead me to want to highly evaluate things on their axes anymore. Instead, I want to talk about the Ravnica Block Shocklands. And a shocking twist here, they're really good. If you don't have fetches, they are the absolute next best thing. Because they, they offer you flexibility. 
Every other kind of non-basic mana fixing land offers you mana fixing with some sort of a drawback. Of the drawbacks that are available to you in this situation, Shocklands are the next, the next best. Because if you don't need the mana, like whenever it is that you don't need the extra mana, it's pain-free. It's just a tap land, it's fine. But early in the game when you need to hit your, you know, you need to curve out in your mid-range deck or your aggro deck, at the cost of two life, they are dual lands. They just do whatever you need them to do. They're basic land types, so you can go get them with fetch lands. They are basic land types, so they will play nicely with one of the other categories we're going to talk about. Two of the other categories we're going to talk about later. So, not to not to beat a dead horse here, but they're they're really good. They're just really really good. And from an investment standpoint, for me, these are the actual best bang for buck. Like. Because you can play them in every single format right now. You can play them in Standard until October. And then you can play them in Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy, if that's what you're into. You can play them in Commander. Like, the only format you can't play them in that I, I routinely enjoy is Pauper. That's because of how Pauper works. It is what it is. So, I mean, Ravnica Block, Shocklands, whether it's original Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica, doesn't matter. They're all great. So, you know, if you're getting to a point where you're ready to start investing more capital into your real estate portfolio, that's where I'm starting. Because you don't want to end up on an island unable to cast your spells. Oh, I promise I'll stop with these eventually. No, I won't. I'm not going to stop these at all. They're going to be going all episode long. It's wild how this episode's evolving. Anyway, the next tier down are kind of your, your non-basic land typed options that have their different varying forms of drawbacks. And I'm just going to kind of breeze through the modern and pioneer legal ones. We have the the canopy lands, which are enemy colored with the exception of a rising canopy. And they are, they, they add one of either color at the cost of one life, or you can pay one, tap, sacrifice, draw a card. So they give you clean, easy mana access early and turn into other stuff late. You know, turn into more cards late when you're flooding out. That's fine. That's good. For Pioneer, we have the the checkland cycle. The, the, yeah, the checkland cycle. There's ten of them. One for every two-color pair. And it's... They enter tapped unless you control a land of either of the basic land types of the color they make, which means they obviously play fantastically well with your shock lands. Because if you have a steam vents in play, every red or blue check land you play is going to enter untapped. Whether it's rootbound crag, whether it's 
Sulphur Falls, whether it's Dragon Skull Summit, whether, you know, whatever. All of them are going to enter untapped. So you just have clean access to all your mana. The, the asking price is really low on those check lands. And I put these a step below the check lands because of how bad they are in control and mid-range decks. In particular, like the mid-range, like the grindier mid-range decks. And these are the fast lands. Uh, they, they are a cycle, although only half of them are legal in Pioneer. And those are the ones that enter the battlefield untapped, or enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or fewer other lands. So, for the first three turns of the game, they are painless dual lands. But every turn there, every turn thereafter, or if you're a ramp deck, they just actively get worse. So it's definitely something to keep in mind when uh, when you're trying to trying to evaluate which ones of these you want is how fast your deck is going. Right, the ones we've been through so far don't really care about the speed. In the case of the, the Horizon, the, the Canopy Lands, you know, they always enter untapped, but they cost you in the early game, and then you can turn them into other cards later so the life loss doesn't kill you. Your your Shock Lands are tapped when you need them, untapped when you don't, or tapped when you don't need them, untapped when you do. Your Fetch Lands are just always great. Your original Dual Lands are just always great. Your rootbound, you know, your check lands are fine. They're never going to be untapped on turn one, but in, on balance, they are typically untapped from turn two on. So that's fine. And then you have the the rest of the bunch, and the pain lands are another one. It's a cycle of ten, but we only have five of them in Pioneer. The enemy color. Are we sensing a theme here? The trick with the Painlands is finding ways to use the fact that you're playing them. I.e., if you're playing Yavamaya Coast in your Stompy, your blue-green Stompy deck, it's probably not an awful idea to go ahead and start looking at some Eldrazi cards. It's possible to build around the synergy of dealing yourself damage. Uh, a buddy of mine once upon a time built a standard deck and played it until he was just not allowed to anymore with Painlands and Tamanoa. Tamanoa being a creature that says whenever a non-creature source you control deals damage, you gain that much life. That not only turns your duel, your Painlands into painless duels because you gain the life back, but it also created some synergy within what his deck was doing. He was playing Tamanoa with Searing Meditation, and Searing Meditation says whenever you gain life, you can pay two colorless mana to deal two damage to any target, which in turn will trigger the Tamanoa to gain two life, at which point will trigger the Searing Meditation to potentially pay two generic to deal two damage, and you just have this like machine gun engine. And it was largely made possible by the fact that he was playing Painlands within this shell because he could create a life gain event with no other cards. 
All he needed in play were lands, Tominoa, and Searing Meditation. And he could start machine gunning your board to pieces, gain a bunch of life, and then start pointing them at your head. There's literally not another class of land outside of maybe the, the monocolor deserts that gives you that kind of synergy within that package. To say nothing of their obvious synergy with stuff like Death Shadow or, you know, any other down the line card that gives you benefits for dealing damage to yourself. Maybe it's whenever you're dealt damage, you, you have an enchantment in play or something that says whenever you're dealt damage, each opponent takes that much. Uh, whenever you're dealt damage, deal that much damage to something else. Uh, you can play them in conjunction with Pariah or Pariah Shield and Commander so that your damage is actually just going to your enchanted or equipped creature. You know, it, there's there's ways to get around them that are that are unique but even if you're not playing those there's still reasonable choices especially if you don't have anything better they're among the very best dual lands in pioneer because they're available and because they have some synergy with some some of the things that are going on and then we have what was the next one we have kind of a set of three that are all allied color and that are all kind of a step below or a step or two below everything else we just talked about. And they are the, the Battle for Zendikar duels. They're actually basic land type duels, uh, but they enter tapped unless you control two or more basic lands. So if your deck is built for more of a long game grind, these are fine, right? Because, you know, you can play some of them in addition to some of the shocklands you're already playing, and that hedges your, your uh, count for your, like, check lands coming in untapped if you have room for that sort of thing. Like, especially if you're playing uh, just a, a two-color deck that gives you more, it gives you more of an ability to be very color-intensive. You know, Cinder Glade's not great, but it still on turn one gives you an untapped rootbound crack on turn two, so you can play whatever in the world you want to on turn two in your two colors, right? So if if casting a creature on turn one is not what you're doing in your base red green deck, Cinder Glade's fine. It's not great, it's fine. And then you you look at the next set. And it's the, the Amonkhet, we call them bicycle lands because they're cycle, cycling dual lands, which is to say they always enter tapped. They never, ever enter untapped. But they're basic land types, so they're fetchable. They work with, uh, they work with the rootbound crack cycle. And you can pay two mana to discard them from your hand to draw a fresh card. Which is obviously nuts if you're like built around cycling and discarding, but even as just like your ninth and tenth duel in an allied color, you know, let's say we're looking at playing red, black, chain whirler, and pioneer. I can I can defend two canyon slews in that deck. Your one drops are not plentiful, nor are they particularly like the one drops are not the reason your deck is good or bad. 
So having access to something, you know, if, you're, if your deck is going to be playing a high land count and not a lot of ways to mitigate flooding or give you something to do when you flood out, these are lands I can justify playing. You know, if you got to play 25 and you're really uncomfortable with playing those, those last two basics, you can probably get away with playing a couple of bicycle duels. And then the last cycle in this tier are your uh, the Shadows over Innistrad lands, the Shadow lands. And they enter tapped unless you reveal a land of either basic land type from your hand. So they are much more likely to be untapped early in the game, but in, in exchange they are much more likely to be tapped later, as you just naturally don't have as many lands in your hand. And that is one of the caveats of them, and it makes them one of the most frustrating cycles of lands to use, because you really, like, you if you're wanting them early and you want to make sure you've got access to a lot of color flexibility early, you want all of them. You want all four of them. But as the game goes on, they get worse. They just actively get worse. So these are kind of, you know, the, the Shadowlands are kind of a use at your own risk. I played many a port town when I was playing blue white blue white red control and standard. Uh, when we had, it was Battle for Zendikar through Kaladesh was what was in standard. Played plenty of that. I wasn't happy about it. I was uh, the the dream opening for me was like port town, prairie stream, mountain island, and I was good to go. Right. Because I'd be able to interact for a few turns. I'd be, I'd be okay on keeping up on the board. And like after turn one, you know, I could, I could port town on one basic, basic prairie stream and be ready to. And then inevitably you do that and then you need to draw the fifth and you draw the port town and it enters tapped and you can't cast or fumigate. You hate your life. You just, you know. Couldn't manage, couldn't manage to uh, cast your spells on time. But that's kind of the end of the uh, end of the line for like reasonably playable all the time. And then we move the next tier down, which is your uncommon lands. When it comes to your mana fixing, you have the the tri lands. There's the set of five from Shards of Alara. The set of five from Cons of Tarkir, they make three colors. They're fine. They're good. I would probably lump stuff like City of Brass and Mana Confluence and Reflecting Pool into this category. Because while they are obviously rare and very expensive, you have to play them like all together. Right? City of Brass and Mana Confluence are strictly just pain land, like they're better and worse pain lands because they're five color, but they always cost you life. And you they don't have another ability on them so that you can mitigate that later. Whether it's the uh, the ability to tap for colorless of the original pain lands or the ability to be sacrificed to draw cards on the canopy lands. And then reflecting pull is entirely dependent on what you're playing around it. But then diving deeper into these these uncommon lands, you have 
your your specialized tribal sort of lands, right? You have your merfolk. You know, you merfolk. What am I talking about? You have your 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 five color tribal lands. Your your cavernous souls. Your sliver hive. Your uh, unclaimed territory. Ancient ziggurat. All of those fall into place. Fall into fall into line in this category. They are only as good as what you're using them for. They're the type of land that if you're wanting them specifically, they are fantastic for what you do. And if you're not, they might as well not exist. Like you don't want them unless you want all of them. If that makes sense. Like if you're building humans in modern, you probably want all the ancient ziggurats and all the unclaimed territories, all the cavernous souls, because you're playing five colors and you want to do some cool stuff. But if you're not playing humans in modern, if you're playing Death Shadow, you don't want any of that. Not a bit. Just doesn't make sense. And then, of course, down below all of that, you have your always enters the battlefield tapped color fix lands that are uncommon. You have your vivid lands, which play nicely with, with uh, reflecting pool. Not much else. You have your myriad of tap duels with various, either uh, various incentives to play them. Whether it's Swiftwater Cliffs to gain you life, Guild Gates for uh, you know the gate synergies, or you know you like yourself a Shivan Oasis and Highland Light just so that you can round out the last few land slots in your commander deck and be able to cast your spells on time. Or in the case of like the, the Swiftwater Cliff cycle, you can play them in Pauper. They're the best dual lands you have in Pauper. <laughs> Sad but true. And then obviously you lump things like Terramorphic Expanse, Evolving Wilds into this category. They are, you know, they're functionally just tap duels. For whatever colors you're playing, right? Yeah, there's some synergy to be exploited again with the sacrifice triggers and landfall triggers, whatever. But by and large, you're playing these because you're like me and you don't want to spend a lot of money and you need to round out your mana base in your commander deck or your, you know, your, your pauper deck or whatever. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the book on mana fixing lands. The next category of land is your utility lands. And these, the first category I want to talk about for those is a little different because it definitely, it plays a little bit like a mana fixing land. The difference between a mana fixing land and a utility land, utility, utility, bleh, I can't English today. Utility lands tend to be more of a, you want the spell effect that they offer more so than you want the color of mana that they provide. In fact, many utility lands are, in fact, colorless. As technically all lands are colorless, but you know what I mean. But the first example I want to talk about, you treat as not only the utility side of it, but it's also basically a colorless dual land if you're playing, playing Eldrazi synergies. And they are the deserts from uh, our devastation. They are... 
uh, colored pain lands or single, they're monocolored pain lands in that they can tap for colorless or they can tap for color and deal one damage to you. But then they also offer the ability to pay mana, sacrifice a desert and gain a spell effect to the point that there's, you know, there's one of those in each color and then there's several colorless ones. They give you the ability to sacrifice itself or another desert to do a thing. You know, there's, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the land, but it's, it just taps for colorless. But if it, if that land goes to the graveyard, you get a two, two zombie, which plays back to the synergy with the other ones. Right. So that everything eventually comes full circle. And then you have your myriad of utility lands. Chief among them are creature lands. You have your cycle of 10, enter the battlefield tapped, make two colors of mana, but then also be, you know, a mana sink to turn into a creature later as a threat. I categorize these here because if you're playing them, you're playing them for that ability. You're not playing those specifically for mana fixing. You know, I very rarely would play a heavily aggressive deck with a bunch of creature lands in it that always enter the battlefield tapped, even if they help me fix my mana. So, you know, that's that's kind of my stance on that. Be Feel free to tell me I'm hor horrifically wrong about that. But then you move from creature lands, you know, you've got those, you've got Mutavault, which conveniently plays nicely with Eldrazi because it makes colorless and it can turn into a creature type. It can turn into an Eldrazi for the purposes of potential cost reductions. Yep. Yep. Working on that. Working on that Eldrazi tribal deck. Yep. Yep. Seems like a good time. Yep. To, uh, everybody kills you at the table. Yep. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Anyway. Moving from those, basically the rest of your utility lands can be evaluated on the scope of what you plan to do with them. The vast majority of the ones you will play are either to gain a spell effect without having to play an extra spell because your color requirements are not very high. Or, you're, you know, it's a free splash with something like the castles, like Castle Embreath or Castle Vantress. Sometimes the ability to just have access to extra extra card effects on the table is useful. Uh, in particular, you know, Castle Vantress is great in the fire stacks in Standard and Pioneer. Being able to give you something to do with all these lands that you're not using to cast your spells. And make sure you're constantly drawing live. But then we... I mean, then you have the stuff like Desolate Lighthouse or the Cycling Lands... The, you know, the regular cycling lands that are monocolored and intertapped. You're not playing those for that. You're playing those because they cycle. So that you don't flood out too bad all the time. So, you know, lands like Ghost Quarter, lands like Field of Ruin, lands like uh, Strip Mine, Tectonic Edge. I've played many of them in my day. And most of them were played because I wanted that effect. Not because I wanted an extra colorless mana source in my deck. Although, that definitely bears evaluating when you're playing Eldrazi anything. Is balancing the number of colorless sources versus your colored mana. But that's all I've got, everybody. 
Uh, I really hope this this episode didn't land on deaf ears. I know it can be can be a little daunting going through trying to figure out what lands you need, but they're the most important thing we've got. You know, otherwise your deck is a waste. So, you know, put, put a little bit more care, a little bit more thought into the lands that we're picking up, that we're choosing to play with. And, you know, if I had to attach a hierarchy, if I had to offer a big piece of advice, if I had to tell you how to get out of the planes, I'd say the number one thing to focus on in building a deck, in, in identifying which lands to get first, Make sure your deck is going to be functional. If that means you have to play something else and use that to get you what you need, do that. I spent an entire summer after my uh, my blue-black control deck. I left it on a table at Grand Prix Memphis 2018. And I spent that entire, the entire rest of 2018 until Guilds of Ravnica released. And even sometime after Guilds of Ravnica released, playing Mono Red Aggro. Why? Because it was the deck I had an optimized mana base for. The rest of it, I was just trying to accumulate cards. I was trying to accumulate capital. I was trying to put myself in a position so that when Guilds of Ravnica came out, I would be able to splurge on a good mana base. I would have access to everything that I wanted. But in so doing, I, I learned how to play aggro better. I grew as a magic player over that summer. It was a good time. Unless, you know, we played against mono sweepers removal and life gain. Then it wasn't a very good time. But, you know, it was mono red. Was it the best deck in the format? No, it was it was pretty close. I mean, I didn't have Chandra's, but I had Hazarets, I had Glorybringers, I had Chain Whirlers, I had Heart of Karens, I had, you know, all the stuff that made the Chain Whirler deck good. We had it. So, yeah, I mean, that was good. But when it came down to determining whether I wanted to play that or something like Grixis Energy, I didn't have the mana base or any of the other functional cards to make that deck work. And I didn't want to trade out of a good functional deck to get into one to get into part of another one. So I didn't. I just played my FMs, got my prize packs, uh, traded cards out of those, kept trading up, trading up, trading up. Eventually did a big trade order, and that got me into Guilds of Ravnica stuff. So End of the day, that's really kind of the most important thing, right? Making sure optimize, make sure what you're playing is as close to optimal as it can be. First, make sure, you know, if you if you have nothing, get into something that is really good but cheap to start with, and then worry about trying to build into like this really cool, expensive thing you want. You know, Pioneer is a, is a dangerous format for somebody with a little bit of cash to burn because it is really easy to spend a lot of money on Pioneer. So I have kind of held myself to playing 
what I had until I figured out for sure what I wanted to invest in in the format. You know, my, I played a lot of Is It Phoenix because I still had all that stuff left over from Standard. I played the Gruul deck because I just had to get a Tarkus Command and... Uh, what was it? A Tarkus Command and... Drawing a blank here. Uh, Experiment 1, I think. I already had most of the stuff I was going to play in this deck. And, you know, the... Uh, the red deck, I just kind of, I kind of lucked my way into. I speculated a little bit on Rekindling Phoenix when I did the order for a bunch of standard stuff and uh, a handful of Pioneer staples. But at the end of the day, I was more focused on making sure what I could play an optimal version of what I had than I was in trying to get all the way into something, you know, buying all the expensive main deck cards and like not having the lands to cast them. It would have been really easy for me to see the amount of store credit I've gotten over the past few months and say, well, I'm going to build blue white control, but I still don't have hallow fountains. I still don't have to fairy time reveler. I still don't have to fairy hero dominaria. Still don't have Supreme verdict. There's no good reason for me to play blue white control, Right. So I just don't, I want to, but I don't because I'm nowhere near having that deck optimized and it begins with the lands. Can't cast your spells without your lands. Your lands are the most important part of what we're doing. So that's all I got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember if you've got questions, comments, concerns, head over to Twitter, I'm at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. On, uh, we have a Facebook group for the show called the Homeward Pathfinders. We have a Discord for patrons of the show. And if you want to become a patron of the show, head over to Patreon.com slash HomewardPathMTG. This show and every major piece of content I put out is always going to be free. But if you like what we're doing enough to help me keep doing it, you know, support my endeavors, so to speak. Feel free, head over there, patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg, and uh, we'll make sure it gets we'll make sure it goes to good use. And obviously, don't forget to check out the fantastic content on the rest of the network at constructedcriticism.com. Just do it. Right? <laughs> Just go do it. Uh, common knowledge is not gone, by the way. Common knowledge is going to going to be returning with new hosts. Uh, Mason is is doing wonderful things as the host of Constructed Criticism, and Spencer's really starting to hit his stride with uh, with Mythic Cast as well. So head over to constructedcriticism.com, check it out. While you're, you know, perusing the internet, head over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com. They are one of the biggest collections of just quality magic content I've seen. So it's well worth your time. Just, just do it. Just go. Just go. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show. It is time for hashtag MTG dad jokes. What do we got here? I did that one already. Did I? Did I do that one already? 
Yeah, I did that one already. So, first one is from the other day. I was unbelievably proud. Uh, MTG Nerd Girl on Twitter did a giveaway special. Said, I want to do something fun for the community today. I have MTG Arena codes for 1,000 gems, pre-release packs, pre-cons, 25 codes in total. Leave me your best dad joke. Comment and follow for a chance to win. Winners will be chosen at the end of the day. Oh, my heavens, y'all. This is fantastic. We have uh, from Bearded MTG says, Wife, we need a new vacuum. Ours is old and it sucks. Know what a vacuum's supposed to do? I, I dug out an oldie but a goodie. I said, Why is John Avon not very good at magic? It's because he only draws lands. This is uh, when one door opens, one door closes, another always opens. Other than that, it's a really nice car. Uh, it says, I'll make it MTG related too. Uh, what happened to the person who spilled hot sauce down their shirt? They got ember cleavage. <laughs> I don't know if I want to have, I don't know if I want anything to do with that because we tend to die when ember cleave is involved. Uh, what do we got here? It says, I tell dad jokes, but I don't have any kids. I'm a faux pas. Says, my wife is really mad at the fact that I have no sense of direction, so I packed up my stuff and write. Uh, to, whoever, to whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. <laughs> I could go on with that one, that just that thread for the rest of the day, but I won't do that to you. But we also have... Earlier today, uh, Spencer found a, a thing on a Facebook group. It says, why are people trying to bring Lucky Clover decks into best of three? It'll never work. I said, I actually have a fair amount of luck with them. Like I've got some lucky object at my disposal or something. It's wild. Tell the story and it's like a fabled passage. Anyway, uh, and he said, that's because they're good, and this is just a really bad take. I said, oh, I know. I'm just doing my job. Got a brand to protect. And then last but not least, it's on a thread from Zena, uh, Zenaid Beckham, who said, uh, losing followers from dumb MTG puns, I guess they don't appreciate fabulous. Uh, one of the comments says, your profit, their loss, hashtag Orzov puns. Another one says, but is it really a loss if they don't like puns? Uh, what do we got here? Where'd that one go? And then uh, a retweet by at MTG Deck Check says, what do you call a one-eyed grizzly who steals on Phyrexia? I don't know. You're going to have to get back to me with a punchline on that one. I thought you already had it up here. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's all I got for everybody today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we will be back on schedule next week, I promise. This one I recorded on Friday on my way home from work, and it had been a particularly grueling week. We had one of the worst weeks we've had in a long time between work and home life, and I just was not feeling it. 
but I slogged my way through it anyway, and it came out just kind of bland, kind of flat, kind of monotone. And I didn't want to do that to y'all. I wanted to make sure I put out something that would be fun, enjoyable, and really try to, you know, get my, you know, I really wanted to stick the landing on my ponds. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you want to hear about next week. And I will catch you then. Take it easy.